Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I want us to return to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, one last time, one last time, to consider the fourth and the fifth truths that the Apostle Paul knew with confidence that gave him joy and peace and assurance while he was there in the prison in Rome. Stand with me, if you will, in honor of God's word. But I would want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now from this text we have learned over the last several Sundays that the Apostle Paul had great confidence and great joy in the Lord Jesus Christ knowing five things, that he would be released from prison, that the Philippian Christians were praying for him, that the Holy Spirit would provide for him or would be his provision, that God had a plan for his life and work, and that no matter what his circumstances would turn out to be, no matter what would happen to him, Jesus Christ would be exalted. And he was confident beyond confidence that these things would come to pass. Now I'm going to pair these last two, the fourth and the fifth truths, uh, together this morning because they are intimately interconnected. They are intimately interconnected. So let me ask you a question. Does God have a plan for your life? Does God have a plan for your life? Sometimes when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, 
or we disciple people in the Christian faith, we may say to them that God has a wonderful plan for your life. We tell people to trust in Jesus and to discover God's plan for their life. Does God have a plan for your life? The question has to do with what God wants you to do and to what end He wants you to use all of the resources that He blesses you with. And those resources include everything. The very breath that you breathe, the strength of your physical body, your mental faculties, as well as other physical resources, time, influence, power, money, an automobile, a home, the clothes on your back, the food that you eat, and on and on and on down the line. Every good and every wonderful gift comes from our Father in heaven. And it's used, it is given for a purpose, and that is to be used... to fulfill his plan if indeed you believe that God does have a plan for your life another question what is God's will for your life what is God's will for your life in other words why are you here not necessarily in this building but why are you even on this planet why are you alive? Why do you breathe? Why does your heart beat? Why do you have the ability to see, to smell, to taste, to touch, to hear? Why do you have the ability to make financial resources to provide for your family, to provide for yourself? Why do you have friends and family? Why do you have a job, if you have a job? Why are you here? Does God have a will for your life? Do you know what God's will is for your life? Now this question is asked to determine what God has called you to do. To determine what God has called you to do. Now some people believe God's will for their life is directly related to the spiritual gift or the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So for example, if your spiritual gift is administration, then God's will for your life might be to serve as an administrator over the ministries of a church or a church Christian school, or a, a church-related organization. If you have the spiritual gift of exhortation, then God's will for your life might be to become a preacher, or a teacher, or an evangelist. If you have the spiritual gift of helps, or ministry, then God's will for your life might be to become a deacon, or an elder, or a counselor, or a prayer warrior. But again, does God have a specific will for your life? 
Does God have a specific plan for your life? I mean, after all, there's only one God, but there's over six billion people on the planet. So you actually believe that God has a specific plan for every life, a specific will for every person? Some people don't believe that. Some people don't believe that God is that big, that God is that great. I believe the scripture is very clear that God does have a plan and God does have his will for every individual life. I believe that God's plan for your life is directed by God's will for your life. His plan is his goal for your life. It is what he wants you to be. It is what he wants you to do. His ultimate plan, his ultimate goal for your life. And his will is the means whereby that goal is achieved. That's how God's plan and God's will are interrelated. God's plan is his goal for your life and his will is the means whereby that plan or that goal is achieved. Now, I don't believe this theologically, just theologically. I believe scripture shows this over and over and over again. But I also see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. What was God's plan for the Apostle Paul? It was revealed to him through Ananias of Damascus. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We've looked at this passage of Scripture before. We want to look at it again. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. After the Apostle Paul had met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul at that point in time was named Saul, uh, more commonly known Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He was being groomed to take his place uh, among the Sanhedrin, the high council of the Hebrew people. And he was on orders to go from Jerusalem up to Damascus because uh, it was reported that there was a group of Christians in that area and he was commanded, he was ordered to go up there to arrest those Christians and to bring them uh, to justice according to Jewish law. Uh, to imprison them, to torture them, to get rid of them. Um, that was what he was instructed to do. So while he was on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. A bright light shone all around him. The glory of the Lord shone all around him. It was knocked to his feet and the voice of the Lord was heard. And he spoke to the Apostle Paul or he spoke to Saul about uh, his persecuting the church. After that event... We pick up in verse 10. There was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. 
And he said, Here am I, Lord. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The goal of Paul's life was to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ to Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel, the, the Jewish people. That was God's plan for his life. God's will for the Apostle Paul's life was the means whereby this goal was going to be achieved. And so what was God's will? How was he going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to Gentiles, to kings, and to the people of Israel? Well, if you know very much about the Apostle Paul and you've followed his life through uh, the book of Acts and through the letters that he has written, you'll know that the will of God was that he engage in missionary journeys that he go from place to place to place, that he would preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to lost people, that he would, dis he would disciple those who came to faith in Jesus Christ, he would establish churches in those places, and then he would also defend the gospel of Jesus Christ before the leaders of the Jews and before the leaders of the Roman Empire. That's how he was going to achieve God's plan. He was going to get out and get busy in the kingdom of God by preaching and teaching and evangelizing and discipling and defending the gospel of Jesus Christ while at the same time establishing churches in practically every city that he visited. To that end, the Holy Spirit gifted the Apostle Paul with multiple spiritual gifts. The gifts of knowledge and wisdom and discernment, exhortation, teaching, serving, leadership, and quite frankly, most if not all of the spiritual gifts that are listed in Ephesians, in Romans, and in 1 Corinthians. Now some of you who are Christian, you have been given at least, well I would say all of you who are Christians, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. Some of you have multiple spiritual gifts. I believe the Apostle Paul had all of them. But these gifts were given to him so that he might be able to do the will of God and by doing the will of God, he might fulfill God's plan for his life. That's how all of these things fit together. However, 
I want us to back off just a ways in order to get the bigger picture. We can look specifically at the various areas in Paul's life, God's plan, God's will, and the various gifts, the means through which God uh, would allow Paul to achieve these things. But let's back away for just a moment and look at the bigger picture because the bigger picture is where you and I fit in. I want you to note in verse 20, back in Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 20. The apostle says, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. God's ultimate goal in Paul's life and in your life and in my life, God's ultimate goal is to magnify Jesus Christ in our mortal bodies. To magnify Jesus Christ in our mortal bodies. Now the word magnify means to make great. It means to exalt. It means to lift up. It means to honor with the highest honor. In other words, God's plan for the Apostle Paul, regardless of his current situation or circumstance, at that particular point in time as a prisoner in a Roman prison, or if he should be freed to go out and to continue ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of the time, regardless of the situation, God's ultimate goal in Paul's life was to Make the name of Jesus Christ great to every person he encountered. Paul didn't care. Paul didn't care if people knew him or not. Paul wanted people to know Jesus Christ. Paul didn't care if people honored him or not. He wanted people to honor the Lord Jesus. Paul didn't care if people loved him or hated him. He wanted people to know Jesus loved them and died for them and that they could love Jesus as well. Now, compare and contrast that with modern-day American Christianity or modern American churchiosity because a lot of churches are not Christian. Compare the attitude of the Apostle Paul with a lot of modern-day preachers and evangelists and teachers. Our culture our culture has been and continues to be a culture that is obsessed with personal popularity and prestige. Our culture has been and continues to be obsessed with personal popularity and prestige. What's tragic is that quite often this obsession has infiltrated the church. It has infiltrated 
the church. We believe, I believe, I believe that we are suffering from what I call the Solomon Syndrome. The Solomon Syndrome. As it is outlined in Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you read those verses, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11, you will hear Solomon say, Look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Hear what I have to say. Realize my importance and my significance. You read those verses, and as you go through, you'll probably kind of get this spiritual sickness because he continues to say, I, 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 me, mine, everything is about him. And nothing is about God. And I see that quite a lot in some of my preachers and teachers and individuals that I listen to and those that I observe. But Paul was not concerned about popularity and he was not concerned about prestige. He was concerned about presenting Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Can you imagine with me what the United States of America would be if preachers got off their high horse and started preaching Jesus? Can you imagine what this country would be if we talked less and less about ourselves, our accomplishments, our achievements, our this, that, and the other, our abilities, our talents, our gifts, so on and so forth, and all we would talk about is Jesus. How would that impact the country that we're living in today? The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ... It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If that was the testimony of every Christian individual, of every individual who names the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what would our country look like? What would our churches look like? What would our families look like? What would our circle of friends look like? If you live because Jesus Christ lives in you, who will people see in your life? Who will people hear from your lips? Who will people follow through your example? God had a plan for Paul's life. And that plan was to exalt Jesus Christ through his life or through his death. 
God's plan was that Paul would make Jesus Christ great in every area of his life, in every activity of his life, everywhere he went in life, with every person he met in life. It didn't matter to Paul if he was released from prison or died in prison. What mattered to him was that Jesus Christ would be exalted while he was in prison. Look at verses 21 through 25. Same chapter, same book, Philippians 1. Look at verses 21 through 25. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, if I continue to live in this mortal body, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. In other words, if it were up to me, I'd, I'd scratch my head about this for a little while. 4 verse 23, For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Paul says, I'm torn between two great things, two great events in my life. I want to go on and be with Jesus Christ in heaven. But I also want to go on and continue to live so that I might minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and to others. And I know for some of us we have that same anxiety in us. Maybe anxiety is not the proper word. But we have that same situation in our spirit. I know that there are many of us we're, we're sick and tired of, of our world and, and everything that's going on. And we would just as soon leave and go on to be with Jesus in heaven. Because I've heard you say that. And I've said that as well. But we also know that God has placed us here for a reason. And He continues to allow our hearts to beat and our lungs to breathe and our lips to speak, and our hands to minister, because there are still people around us who do not know Jesus Christ. And God's desire is that they will come to know Jesus Christ through my witness and through your witness, through my ministry and through your ministry. And so I, my desire is to continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as He has called me and gifted me and equipped me and trained me to do so. But my desire is also to be done with this and to go on to be with Him in glory. That was Paul's dilemma. That's my dilemma. And I know that's the dilemma for a lot of us. And it, you know, it becomes more and more, it becomes more and more real to me when I visit people like Dave Ruger. Nancy and I went over uh, as a lot of you have, we went over to visit with Dave and Chun 
yesterday and I was sitting in the chair and David and I were talking and about this, that, and the other. And, and you know, he was kind of rehearsing some of the things that he had done here in the church and the people that he had met and ministered and, and ministered to him and so on and so forth. And then he, he kind of chuckled uh, under his breath. And I looked at him and I said, I said, what are you laughing about? And he looked at me and he said, I get to see Jesus before you do. And I thought, wow. If every one of us had that kind of an attitude when we face death, I get to see Jesus before you do. Paul wanted to be free to continue to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. He also wanted to die and go home to be with Jesus in heaven. But whatever the outcome of his life, whatever the outcome of his imprisonment, his greatest desire was to lift up the name of Jesus so people could be saved and Christians could be discipled. Now, while God's plan may remain constant in a person's life, God's will can and often does change. God's will can and often does change. When I was in seminary, I had a, a, a couple of teachers who were true academics, scholars. They had gone to college, they had gone to seminary, and all the way as high as they could go, PhD, and then they turned right around and began teaching in a college or in a seminary. I had other professors, and I, I would have to say this, more who were beloved to me, who had also gone to college, got their degree, gone to seminary, gone all the way as high as they could go, PhDs, THDs, got those degrees, and then went out and served the Lord on the mission field, or pastored churches, or became evangelists. And then after a while, they came back to a college or seminary and began to teach. And the point I'm trying to make here is that for people like Dr. Kate, Dr. Hyatt, um, Dr. Stubblefield, and another, a number of other professors that were mine who were academics, but they were also involved in practical theology. They were also involved in church life, church ministry, so on and so forth. The will of God changed for them. The plan of God never changed, but the will of God changed Go to school, get prepared, uh, get equipped, uh, go out and minister, uh, you know, apply the gospel of Christ into the lives of people, do what I've called you to do, do what I've equipped you to do in, in the church context, in, in Christian organizations, in Christian ministry context, and then after you've got the practical side, you really understand how all of this stuff applies, come back and teach young ministers how to rightly minister in their churches. 
how to rightly minister out on the mission field, how to rightly minister as they evangelize other folks. God's will changed as time progressed, but his plan never did. His plan never did. We read in Scripture that God's will for the Apostle Paul's life changed from time to time, even though God's plan for Paul never did change. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, he was called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? He was sent out to be a messenger as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 15, verse 32, he was to travel to Rome, his desire was to travel to Rome to be a minister among the Christians there in Rome. So in one aspect, God sent him out into Asia Minor to reach people for Jesus Christ, to disciple people in Christ Jesus, to establish churches, to train up leaders, to minister and to lead those churches as he moved on to the next city. In another area, God's will was that he go to an already established church, one that he didn't establish himself, but to go to an already established church church and to minister to the Christians there. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 15, the apostle Peter said that the will of God was that we would do all things right in all situations. In other words, that we would do God's will, God's purpose, God's plan, that we would do what is right in the eyes of God, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, we will do it because it is God ordained and it is right it is consistent with God's plan and God's will. In Acts chapter 9, verse 16, uh, we've already read that passage of Scripture, but God's will for the Apostle Paul was not only that he would go and, if, and, and spread the gospel to the Gentiles, kings, and to the Jews, but that he would also suffer. He would also suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he said it was the will of God that in all things he would be grateful, he would be thankful to the Lord for all of his experiences and for all of his accomplishments. But above all of these things, these little details about, well, this is the will of God here, this is the will of God, this is the will of God over there, above all of these things that were part of God's will for Paul's life, the, the thing that tied all of this together, we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. And he writes to the Thessalonians, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, that you be holy. The will of God may change and did change in the Apostle Paul's life from stage to stage, from time to time. But ultimately the will of God for the Apostle Paul was that no matter what stage he has in life, what stage he was in ministry, where he happened to be, whether it was Asia Minor or in Europe, whatever Paul did, he was to be holy. And he was to progress in that holiness. What is God's will for my life? I can know God's will for my life. I do know God's will for my life. And it's more than being a preacher or a teacher of the Word of God. And it's more than being a pastor to you and an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's ultimate will in my life, whether as a student 
or as a pastor or as a music leader and youth director, which I was for about 10 years, as, a, as an associate pastor, God's ultimate will for my life was to be a person who is holy in character and righteous in conduct. It's being a person who desires and pursues spiritual growth and development in Jesus Christ, even after nearly 50 years of ministry. My desire is to continue to grow and to continue to develop, to develop in holiness of character and righteousness in conduct. It is being someone who has loved Jesus, who still loves Jesus and longs to love Him more and more each and every day. Layla Morris wrote the words to this hymn over a hundred years ago. She wrote, Of Jesus' love that sought me when I was lost in sin, of wondrous grace that brought me back to his fold again, of heights and depths of mercy far deeper than the sea, and higher than the heavens my theme shall ever be. Sweeter as the years go by, sweeter as the years go by, richer, fuller, deeper. Jesus' love is sweeter, sweeter as the years go by. I want to know what that sweetness is to its fullest. My longing and my desire is to know whatever stage of life I'm in and wherever God would send me and whatever God would have me do is to know the sweetness of the Lord Jesus Christ at a higher and a higher and a higher plane each and every day that I live. The ultimate will of God in your life and in my life is to be holy and to demonstrate that holiness in whatever gift or gifts He has blessed you with through the Holy Spirit. It is, if it is His will that you preach or teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that is His will, then use the gifts that He's given you to be the best preacher or the best teacher that you can possibly be. Is it His will that you evangelize the lost to faith in Jesus Christ, then use the gifts that He has given you to be the best soul winner that you can be. Is it His will that you disciple people in the kingdom of Jesus Christ to sing or to play musical instruments to the praise and to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? To pray for those who are in, on the front lines of Christian service? To counsel? Encourage, show mercy and compassion to those who are in need, then use the gifts that He's given you to be the best that you can be in whatever ministry those gifts channel your life. And in doing so, we will make Jesus Christ great in our lives in our families, in our church, in our community, 
and in our world. Because that is God's ultimate plan for you and for me. Let's stand together. David will come and lead us in a song and we will dismiss. <laughs> Let's praise him this morning. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. And he's my He's my fortress, He's my deliverer, in Him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we thank You for Your Word, which is truth. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit, who is here among us, that we might hear the truth and that he might apply that truth deep within our lives so that we might go out and be what you have called us to be, what you have gifted us to be, what you have equipped us to be, that we will magnify the name of Jesus Christ in our lives, that we will be a holy people, that we will be a righteous people and thereby bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need to hear it. To your honor and to your glory, I pray these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.